Turn to James chapter 1. Apologize for us not going through a book on uh, Sunday night for the time being. Uh, that'll happen again one of these days. <laughs> right now we're taking it one Sunday at a time. We're going to continue. A few weeks ago we started on James chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. We're going to continue that tonight, the next few verses, talking about trials. Now I'm personally not qualified to talk about trials since I've never been through anything all that tremendous or traumatic. I don't consider it, at least. Uh, all of us have been through something, some things in our life. Uh, God brings trials, ordains trials for each one of his people that are peculiar to your situation, to you. He ordains these trials for you. Now, someone else may say, well, that's not such a difficult thing. But for you, it's a trial that God wants you to learn from. And for me, uh, I, you know, he, he brings certain things into my life. He brings certain things into your life. And, uh, but I don't speak from the standpoint on trials tonight of having gone through some great thing uh, that may happen in the future. I, I, don't, I don't know how it's going to be for any of us, but uh, each of us have our peculiar trials that we face in life. We've talked, Mike's talked about a guy named Jeremy over the Master Seminary who's been through many physical trials in his life. And he said often that Jeremy, it would be great if Jeremy could come here and preach on the subject of trials, and it would be, no doubt. Um, I can't say that. The only, uh, the greatest trial I've been through in my life may have been the uh, 40 hours of continuous, 40 hours plus of continuous flying or being in airports from Asia. Uh, that was what I consider to be a great trial. Uh, Bill James here, by the way, we're glad to have the James family from Virginia, knows more about flying to Asia back and forth than anybody here. He did it several times, correct, Bill? And, uh, but for me, after flying from northern Myanmar to southern Myanmar to Thailand to wherever, South Korea, and then the 14-hour flight from South Korea to Atlanta, about halfway through the flight, I almost went through the ceiling because it was very difficult for me to just sit there all that time. But I don't speak from the standpoint of have, having gone through great personal trials. However, whenever you preach the Bible, it's not about what I did. It's about the Scripture and what it teaches about a subject. In this case, the Bible can speak authoritatively, authoritatively on any subject, and in this case, we're talking about trials. Um, trials are the lot of the believer. We saw that in verses 2 through 4. Um, it says in 1 Peter 1, Now for a little time you have, you have uh, been distressed by various trials, uh, so that the proof of your faith, being much more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Job, uh, it says, was a blameless and upright man, one that feared evil and one that uh, turned away from evil rather and feared God. rather. And it says of him, he says in chapter 3, after going through this great trial, even though he was secure in his wealth and his position, uh, secure, yet trials came upon him. He says in chapter 3, For the thing I greatly feared has come upon me, and what I dreaded has happened to me. I am not at ease, nor am I quiet. I have, not, I have no rest for trouble comes. I mean, if Job had to go through trials, no believer is, is, is exempt. Job, the greatest, more, most upright man of his time. No believer exempt. Paul said, unless I should be exalted above measure, uh, by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. So even the apostle Paul, God had to send him trials, uh, and no one knows what that was exactly. They've guessed at it. 
to keep him humble before him. Hebrews 12, 7, what son is there whom a father does not chasten? And so all of us go through trials. Trials are the light of the believer. We talked about that in verses 2 through 4. We saw there, first of all, a command concerning trials in verse 2. It says, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Now, let's think about that for a minute. He's saying when you go through a difficult trial, and some of you in here, by the way, are going through difficult trials right now. I know that, and I'm praying for you, and I sympathize with that. And I want this to be a time of encouragement and edification, not a time of harshness at all. Um, but but um, he says here, consider it all joy when you encounter trials. Now, that is not the natural response that we have when we face a difficulty from God, is it? Our natural response would be, wow, why is this happening to me? Why is this happening? Maybe sorrow would be your response or fear or something else. But he says count it all joy. That's not a natural response, but it is a supernatural response. We talked about that. Galatians 5, joy is a fruit of the Spirit, right? He talks about the reason for the command in verse 3. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Produces endurance. We have a certain knowledge we possess. If we go through a trial, it's going to produce endurance in our life, perseverance, right? And then the outcome of the trial in verse 4, he says, Let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. The purpose of trials is to make us mature in our faith, right? To make us strong in the Lord, stronger in the Lord so we may minister in a better way. And he says, hang in there in verse 4. Don't short-circuit the trial. It's kind of like having your uh, tooth pulled, right? In the middle of that tooth being pulled, you run out of the chair and leave. Uh, you didn't solve, your problem wasn't solved, right? You have a greater problem now. Go through the trial. Don't short-circuit it. Let God do his work so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Tonight, we're going to see the use of prayer in trials, especially the prayer for wisdom in verses 5 through 8. So let's read verses 5 through 8 right now. It says there, But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith without any doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, the wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Well, first of all, we see God's wisdom is needed in trials. His wisdom is needed in trials. It says, but if any of you lacks wisdom. Notice that the word that connects the two, verses 4 and 5, the word lacks in verse 5, the word lacking in verse 4. Let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you, however, lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. That, kind of, that word ties it together. God does not want us to be lacking or left behind or deficient uh, when it comes to the effect that trials have upon us, verse 4 says. He wants us to go through the trial and so that we can learn from the trial, so we can learn to be the kind of people he wants us to be. He doesn't want us to be lacking in verse 5 in the most important aid to our trial, and that is prayer for wisdom, praying for wisdom during the trial. He doesn't want us to be deficient in that at all. And so the word uh, lacking kind of links the two verses together. He says, but, if any of you lack wisdom. Well, but implies that something further is to be added to the, the trials, and that is, uh, and by the way, the word you there is plural. He's addressing all of James's readers or any of us, all believers, that is wisdom. We need wisdom in trials. You ever gone through a trial and all you did was say, woe is me, what, what's happening? And that's all you did? And you didn't ask God for his wisdom to cope with that trial at all? Well, 
You didn't learn from that, really. We didn't learn from that kind of trial if we, if we did that. He says, if any of you lack wisdom. That's a conditional statement, by the way, in Greek. It's not, he's not saying that, he's not implying doubt at all here. He's, he's, he's not implying doubt concerning the reality of the need, but rather he assumes the reality of the need as, as a standing fact. In other words, he says, everybody, every believer has a need in a trial, and that's this. You need to ask God for his wisdom in order to cope with the trial and understand what he wants and to guide you through that trial. Everybody, not just some believers who are going through the midst of the trial. If any, some of you believers lack wisdom. No, every believer lacks wisdom in a trial and needs to seek God for that. No one's exempt, as we said earlier. Now, there may be a difference between the, great, the need between believers. It may vary, but nevertheless, all believers need the wisdom of God. Because the trials are difficult. Trials are, 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 are pressures that come upon you from God, ordained by God. We could have the wrong response, right? You could have a trial come your way, and Job said, I feared that this was going to happen to me. You could have that response. You could have the response of despair, even. Uh, you could have, that's not God's intention, uh, but our, our uh, sinful nature would be such we could respond the wrong way. We could have anger toward God, even, or resentment toward God. And God says, no, I don't want you to be that way. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4.8, I'm perplexed, we're perplexed, but not despairing. And so Paul didn't despair in the trials sent to him. We desperately need God's wisdom in a trial, desperately. Uh, we need his aid, we need his help. We may go to someone else for advice. I may go to one of you out there and say, what do I do about the situation I'm in? And you're going to tell me, I don't know. <laughs> I'm going to probably tell you I don't know exactly, or you're going to try to give some answer, but... If we go to God, he's going to give us the wisdom we need. That's who we need to go to. Go to God. And listen to this. We need wisdom to see our trials in a true light so as to spiritually profit from them. We need, our, we need our, oh, God's wisdom to see our trials in a true light so as to spiritually profit from them. That's easy for me to say, right? Some of you in here are going through trials right now. I know that. And you say, yeah, but you don't understand what I'm going through. No, I really don't. But I do see, I do see your hurt. And, uh, and, but we need this in order to profit from the trial. This is the word of God. What is wisdom? It's not mere knowledge. It's not even possessing vast amounts of knowledge. God's not saying you need to be smart to go through trials. He's saying you need to be wise. You need his wisdom. Wisdom is practical. It's seen in a practical light here as it bears upon uh, life itself. It is the moral discernment that enables a believer to encounter trials with decisions and actions that are, that are consistent with God's will. Listen to that again. Wisdom is the moral discernment that enables a believer to encounter trials with decisions and actions that are consistent with God's will. It's the practical application of knowledge in a trial. It's seeing trials the way God wants you to view them. It's the kind of it's seeing trials the way it says in chapters uh, verses two through four, considering it all joy. Only, only with God's wisdom and aid and help can you see trials that way. Otherwise, we can't, right? How do we cope with trials? Uh, with only, with, only with God's wisdom. There's no other way. There's no other way unless we have the wisdom of God. We, we all lack that. Has the Lord sent a trial your way? And tonight, are you suffering from that or in trouble from that? Or maybe have you gone through a trial in the recent past? And maybe we'll go through one in the, in the near future. We only can get through this with the wisdom of God, giving us discernment in the trial. So God's wisdom is needed in all trials, right? And secondly, God's, God is willing to grant his wisdom. 
he's willing to grant his wisdom. Verse 5, the rest of the verse, it says, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. God's willing to grant his wisdom. Let him ask of God. Now, it doesn't look like it on face value, but that's, that's not personal advice James is giving or, or good advice. That is a command, actually. It's not an option here. It's a command. It's mandatory. It's an imperative. He's saying, look, you must do this if you're in a trial. You must, and you're a child of God, ask God for his wisdom. He says to do it. Let him ask of God. It's third person. Singular, which means every individual. Every individual among the people of God is to ask for his wisdom. It's everyone's duty. I know, what, what do we do when we're in a difficult situation or a trial? Many people run to the pastor, right? They run to the pastor right away. Pastor Mike, what do I do now? But what does God say to do? And, that, and that's fine that you go to your pastor. I'm not saying you should, shouldn't go to your pastor, but we should run first of all to the Lord, right? We should go to the Lord immediately. What does Mike always say to us? What does he say to me when I go to him with an issue? He says, seek the Lord. That's what he tells me, seek the Lord. And that's what he's, he's told you, I'm sure. So we, go to, we, learn, we need to learn to run to the Lord first and seek him and, and what he has for us, his wisdom. This phrase, let him ask of God, is present tense. It means to be let him, ask, let him be asking of God. In other words, as the need arises, repeatedly ask God for his wisdom as the need arises. You know, the Dewhurst family have, has that four-year-old child who's going through leukemia treatments. I hope I'm saying that right, Ryan. And... Uh, Worst medical uh, information in the world comes from me. So I try to keep, have a few people keep me straight on that. Will Dewhurst, four years old, leukemia treatments for three years. And I, I, hope, I hope you're praying for Will every day. Uh, what, did the do, what does the Dewhurst family do? Every day, they need to ask God for his wisdom, right? For three years or more. Or maybe, I, I don't know. We don't know what's going to happen with this thing. But asking God repeatedly as the need arises every day, come to God, Lord, help us with this. Give us your grace. Give us wisdom. How do we cope with this? Imagine if you're in that situation. God is the true source of wisdom. He says, let him ask of God. That's where wisdom comes from. Proverbs 2, 6 says, for the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. Read the book of Proverbs. You see these kind of statements over and over again. Proverbs 3.19, the Lord by wisdom founded the earth. So wisdom comes from God. That's the source of all wisdom. People look all over the place for advice and wisdom and so on, but it comes from God. We need to look to him for it. How did Solomon, the wisest man ever, get his wisdom? Very simple. Look at 1 Kings with me, if you will. 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 5, 1 Kings 3. I know you, you know this, but I want you to, to think about this. Um, this is what the verse is teaching us. First, First Kings 3, verses 5 through 12. Uh, it says, In Gibeon the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream at night, and God said, Ask what you wish me to give you. Then Solomon said, Let me ask you a question, by the way. If you were told by God you could ask anything at all uh, from him, what, what is it you would ask for? What would you ask for? God, Solomon says, or God says, ask whatever you wish. Verse 6, then Solomon said, you have shown great loving kindness to your servant, David, my father. According as he has walked before you in truth and righteousness and uprightness of heart towards you, 
You have reserved for him this great loving kindness that you have given him a son to sit on his throne as it is this day. Now, O Lord, my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father, David. Yet I am but a little child. I do not know how. Good phrase to tell the Lord. I do not know how to go out or come in. Your servant is in the midst of your people, which you have chosen, a great people, which are too many to be numbered or counted. So give your servant an understanding heart to judge your people, to discern between good and evil. For who is able to judge this great people, people of yours? It was pleasing in the sight of the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. He asked this thing, right? God said to him, because you have asked this thing and have not asked for yourself long life, nor have asked for riches for yourself, nor have you asked for the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself discernment or to understand justice. Behold, I have done according to your words. Behold, I have given you a wise and discerning heart, so that there has been no one like you before you, nor, no, nor shall one like you arise after you. So Solomon, how did he get his wisdom? He asked God. The same thing this verse is saying to do. When you're in a trial, you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. That's what it says. And that's what Solomon did. And, you know, we, got, we had this thing. If you heard this, don't appear to be spiritual by saying, oh, I'm not going to ask God because we ask God all the time. Let's give God praise and adoration and thanksgiving, right? Yeah, God is deserving of praise and adoration and thanksgiving. We should do those things. But don't, don't say I'm not going to ask God of things because I've done that too much. Never say that. God says over and over again in his word, ask me, ask me. Ask me over and over again. We are constantly to be asking God for things because we need his help. We need his, his wisdom. We, need his, uh, uh, we ask for daily bread, right? He says that in the Lord's Prayer. So we're always asking God for things. And so we ask God for wisdom. And look at the Lord's attitude toward the one asking. It says in verse 5, God will give to all generously without reproach. That's his attitude. He's going to, he's, he's going to be, he's going to, he's got the, that kind of attitude toward his, his children. First of all, he's giving. It's the inherent nature of God to be continually giving to his people. What have we given to him? He's given us everything, right? He's given us salvation. We didn't earn that. We were running away from him. He came after us and saved us. He's given, given us his word. He's given us his Holy Spirit, and it goes on and on and on, right? Given us many things. God is a giving God. It's characteristic of the unbeliever, someone said, to see God with a clenched fist. It's characteristic of the believer to see God with an open hand. We need to see God that way. James 1.17, in your chapter here, every good thing given, every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. So God is a giving God. There's a great song, and uh, there's a word that's... Uh, in, in this song that's used that is from the Old English, but actually it expresses it better, in my opinion. The song is, He giveth more grace. And it goes like this, one, one verse. But out of his infinite riches in Jesus, he giveth and giveth and giveth again. I like that verse because that is the nature of God, to be giving constantly, to be blessing his people, and to be always uh, at their disposal, not, not to be commanded by, by us, but to be blessing us out of his goodness and mercy towards us and so it's his nature to give he is a giving god and then also he's a generous god it says in, in the in the verse here he gives to all generously in other words he gives liberally he gives wholeheartedly he gives uh without restraint freely and you see that all through the bible you see it in the old testament when 
he rained down manna from heaven for 40 years every single day, even though the people complained and griped about it. Nevertheless, he was generous in that for 40 years straight, he took care of the people while they were in the wilderness and couldn't take care of themselves. When they got to the land of Canaan, that stopped. But God was generous. Uh, the feeding of the 5,000, generous again. Feeding of the 4,000, generosity again. I love the uh, instructions Jesus gave on prayer in Matthew 7. Let me read that to you. He says, this is Jesus. We say, oh, we're not going to ask God, and we're not going to bother God with our request, right? Because we're too spiritual for that. He says, ask, and it will be given you. And that's a continuous tense. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be open to you. For everyone who asks, receives. Matthew 7, 7 to 11. He who seeks, finds. To him who knocks, it will be open. Or what man is there among you who, when his son asks for a loaf, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, he will not give him a snake, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much will, more will your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? How much more does he have to tell us? He says, ask. And I will give you. Ask according to his will. You understand that, right? Ask according to his word. You understand that. So God wants us to ask. He's generous. He's gracious. We're not bothersome to God. God doesn't say, oh, no, they're back again asking for more. Didn't I just give that guy something? I took care of him a minute ago. And he wants us to come to him again and again. He's gracious. Also, it says he'll give without reproach. That is a great phrase, without reproach. Uh, Without finding fault. He'll give to you without finding fault. He'll give to you without severely reprimanding you. God never reprimands his people for asking. He doesn't grant our petitions to us and then heap insults upon us. Like, didn't I already take care of you? I'm, don't come to me again with that. He doesn't humiliate us. You know anybody like that, by the way? You ever come across people like that? You've asked them for something, you ask, ask them for help, and you ask them again, and they say, look, I already helped you one time. Don't ask me again, okay? I've had people tell me that. Um, okay, I, all right. I want, and you feel kind of, you walk away feeling like that, right? Very humbled by that whole situation. God doesn't treat us like that at all. He's, he doesn't find fault with us. He, he wants us to ask, and then he wants us to ask again, and then he wants us to ask again. We can't exhaust his resources, by the way. Don't worry about that. He's very gracious, does it without reproach. And then he'll answer the request. It says... You know what, I love these kind of verses because people say, you know, people get confused with the charismatic movement and a lot of movements and theology going on. And they say, well, we can't do that because how do we know God's going to answer that? Well, look, I'm simple enough when it comes to the Bible to actually believe the words that it says, okay? And I'm sorry, I take a very direct approach to it. And it says here, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, and it will be given to him. That's what it says, okay? You ask God for wisdom, he's going to give it to you. He's going to answer your request. It's kind of like Hebrews 4.16. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. He says to us, ask for wisdom in trials. And guess what? I'm going to grant you that wisdom when you ask. That's what he says. I believe it. What have we seen so far? We've seen that God is, God will... Uh, God's wisdom is needed in trials, and God is willing to grant his wisdom. Well, by the way, are you asking when you're in a trial? Do you ask God for his wisdom? Or do we just let it go by and 
wow, what's happening to me right now? This is horrible. We let it go like that. No, we need to ask God for his wisdom. Thirdly, the necessity of faith in attaining God's wisdom. The necessity of faith in attaining God's wisdom in verses 6 through 8. Verse 6, he must ask in faith without any doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. He must ask in faith. The barrier to unanswered to answered prayer is doubt, right? Unbelief. How many times does he say this over and over again? Unbelief, doubt. He, can't, he, he won't deal with that. Woe to you, Chorazin, Bethsaida, and all the cities, because if the works had been done in, had, had been done in Sodom and Gomorrah that had been done in you, they would have repented a long time ago. But you people don't believe. Statements like that over and over again. Hebrews 11.6, without faith, it's impossible to please God. He who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he's a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. God's always working on that principle of faith, right? I read this somewhere, the statement, believing prayer takes its stand upon the character of God. Believing prayer takes its stand upon the character of God. You say, I don't know if this is going to be, I don't know if I pray for this, if it's really going to, if you're praying according to God's will, according to what he says in his word to pray for, okay? To, to trust God, to not trust God is to insult his character, right? If, if we don't trust God, we, we're insulting his character. We're saying you're not really trustworthy. We can't really count on you. We don't want to do that. The problem is we doubt God's power. We doubt his ability to fulfill our, our prayers. How many, have you, how many of you in here, don't raise your hand, have seen an answer to prayer in the last... Six months? Sarah Jo has. <laughs> That's good, Sarah Jo. And others. That's okay, no problem. <laughs> Sarah Jo was so excited she had to raise her hand. That's good, Sarah Jo. I'm glad you did. And guess what? I can tell you some other things I've seen in the last six months of God answering prayers. Can any of you? Yeah. We've seen some things happen that, that were tremendous things. Because we believe that God can do that. We must ask in faith, however. What is faith? It's the wholehearted attitude of a full and unquestioning commitment to and dependence upon God. It's the wholehearted attitude of a full and unquestioning commitment to and dependence upon God. It's our proper response to the goodness of God. You know, we need to be childlike in our faith. The problem we have is this. We have to analyze everything. Then we've got to overanalyze everything. And then we've got to say, well, we can't do this and we can't do that. And this will never happen and that can't happen and that won't happen. But God says, just trust me. And things will happen. I'm not saying that we have a, a, a blank check to do whatever we want to in life. I'm just saying we take God at his word, based upon his word, the things he says in his word. And we pray for those things. And we can trust him. He's, he's trustworthy. It says in verse 6, without any doubting. He must ask in faith without any doubting. By the way, this principle here for wisdom, I think it goes beyond this to all prayer. He must ask in faith without any doubting. Doubting means one who is divided in his mind and wavers between two opinions. One moment, it's the yes of faith. The next moment, it's the no of unbelief. Wow, can he or can he? Can this happen or can it happen? It's wavering back and forth. You see it with Peter when he went to walk on the water in Matthew 14, and he started to walk, and then he, he sunk, and Jesus said what? What did he say? Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Why did you doubt? You, you doubting me? I'm the trustworthy Lord, right, that we can count on. Why would we doubt him? Why would we ever doubt him? People, I, I'm always amazed when people say, you can't do that. 
You can't do that. I, maybe not. I can't do it, but God can do it. If he chooses to do it, he can do it, right? We need to have faith in God. And doubt here is illustrated by the ocean, verse 8. What a great illustration. The one who doubts is like the surf of the sea or like the wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. It's a good picture of the constant unrest of the doubting soul, the ocean is. Uh, the wave here is not an individual wave, by the way. It's a succession of waves come one after the other. It says tossed by the wind here also, which means the wind blow the waves one direction, and then the wind comes along and blows it in an op- opposite direction. That's how the doubter is like. He's just wavering all over the place. No stability at all. Those of us who grew up here in Florida uh, have been to the beach many times, and we've seen, we've seen the waves out there, and we've been in them, and we've seen how the water is, and it's uncertain and all that. That's how the doubting soul is, the uncertainty of it, and the wavering that, that goes through. A doubter, I read this quote also, a doubter is unsteady, is as unsteady and insecure as a boat rocked by a turbulent sea. And just like the winds direct the waves every which way, the doubter's like that. He's just wavering. Can't really settle in. Doesn't really trust God. He has no stability. And the end, the result, the end result of all this is praying with doubt is what? Verse 7. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive what? Anything from the Lord. How much can a doubter expect to receive from God? Nothing. That's what it says. That's what the words say. That man, he says, that man, James is distancing himself from that man. He's saying, I don't, I don't be like that man. That's a derogatory term. That man, he's like a guy, he's never going to get his prayer answered, that man, is he? That guy's never going to get his prayer answered. He can stop thinking that God will answer his prayer. It's not going to happen. He doesn't believe God's going to even answer it anyway. He doesn't trust him. Why? He's a double-minded man, verse 8 says. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Literally a double-souled man, kind of like a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Uh, he's, he says, uh, part of him says, I believe. And the other part says, I don't believe. Going back and forth. Another great, <laughs> great quote here. Don't know where they came from. He is a walking civil war in which trust and distrust of God wages a continual battle against each other. A walking civil war. That got a comment in which trust and distrust of God wage a continual battle against each other, right? That's how the double-minded man is. Just can't get it together. It says he's unstable in all his ways. Socially, he's unstable. When it comes to his work, he's unstable. It's all his ways. Personally, at school, at work. Close connection between the way we pray and the way we live. There's a, uh, I, and I didn't look this up again, but I'd read... Pilgrim's Progress years ago, but there's a man called Mr. Facing Both Ways in Pilgrim's Progress. And that's how this guy is. He can't really decide what he's going to do. Is he going to trust God or not? And faith is necessary in order to please God. We've got to have it. Faith. So are you double-minded like that? Finding yourself going back and forth, some faith mixed with doubt, it's going back and forth wavering. God demands that his people be people of what? People of faith, right? And people of faith, not in just some abstract sense or in a vacuum, but faith in the trustworthy object, God, right? Faith in God, total and complete faith in him. Not doubting his ability to answer prayer. And that's one of our big problems. We doubt his ability to answer our prayer. We're praying according to God's will, that is. Well, are you going through a trial right now? 
Are you? Maybe you're in something right now that's very difficult to handle. I know some of you are. Are you seeking God's wisdom? I only ask that in a gentle way, in a kind way, in an edifying way. Seek his wisdom. I don't have the answers. Neither does anybody else. But God does. God can tell can give you his wisdom. It's have you responded correctly in past trials to things that have happened to you? Have you responded correctly or did you just wring your hands and worry and have fear and get angry with God and resentful and all that and didn't trust God at all? The correct approach is to ask God for wisdom in trials and to seek his wisdom in his face. That's the correct approach. And we should do that in childlike faith. Childlike faith. We need to get away from this overanalyzation of everything and just have childlike faith in God. There's a great prayer you can pray, by the way, if you have a problem with this. I love the prayer the guy prayed in the Gospels. Lord, I believe. Finish it off. Help my unbelief. <laughs> I've prayed that many times. Lord, you know I am weak and stupid and sinful and faithless often. Help my unbelief. Help me to trust in you. Only in this way will we, be, will we be able to see our trials in a true light and to profit spiritually from them. And God help us to do that. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for this time together and for your word. We just pray that it will strengthen us tonight and uh, help us to be the kind of people we should be. Trusting you, Lord, in a simple childlike faith. Seeking your faith. Seeking your wisdom each and every day for all that we go through in our life, in order that we might please you and grow in our faith and mature in Christ so we can be a vessel used for your honor. And we just pray this in Christ's name. Amen.